Great, if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. Please open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is our text this morning in our Seeing Christ in All of Scripture series. 2 Samuel 11 and 12 we're going to read together this morning. So please open up your Bibles or your phones uh, and let's read the Word of God together this morning. 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Let's read God's Word together. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there, there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of Joab, some, some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, Then if the king's anger arises and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubesh? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. 
David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but... When the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. 
Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount, and he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. And David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. The title of the message is, The Lord Has Put Away Your Sin. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for being able to gather together this morning as your people major people because of what You've done and sending Your own Son to die on the cross for sinners like us. Lord, would You please cause us to be blown away this morning by the depths of our sin, by the amazingness of Your mercy and Your grace. Help us to see how glorious You are and help us to revel in how beloved we are to You as Your people. We pray this in Your name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first point we're going to look at this morning is sin. The second point is mercy. The third point is grace. And then the final point is beloved. So sin, mercy, grace, and beloved. Let's look firstly at sin. And this is going to cover the section in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, which we just read. Brothers and sisters, there is a pleasure to sin in the short term. But it is a fleeting pleasure. And in the end, it leads to death. And if unrepented of, it leads to eternal damnation in hell. The Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24-26, through 26, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I love how honest Scripture is about the the pleasures of sin. They are pleasures, but they're fleeting pleasures. And in the end, they really do lead to death. What's so remarkable about Moses in the chapter in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, is it says that He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin by identifying with the people of Egypt and worshiping their false gods and enjoying the immorality which they indulged in. It's glorious that Moses in his faith is commended for turning away from enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And brothers and sisters, let us all be reminded, we all must choose to turn away from the fleeting pleasures of sin and follow Christ in order to be saved. Here in this passage, David did not do that. 
his sin starts by neglecting the duty of kings. It was the time to go off to war. And yet instead we see King David staying back and then rising late from an afternoon couch. It eventually gets to murder of Uriah the Hittite, who was one of his 30, by the way, listed amongst the mighty men. How did it come to this? Well, little sins, which aren't so little, lead to bigger sins. Song of Solomon says that it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. We tend to think of the big sins and fearing those, but the big sins are brought about because little sins that are not so little are ignored. David neglected his responsibility as a king to go off to war with his men. There was an idleness about him here. As his men were on the battlefield, he stayed back. Perhaps it was sort of an, I don't need to go to war this season. It's okay for me to take a pass on these battles. I've already fought so many others. Perhaps a spirit of entitlement led to a further and stronger spirit of entitlement that led him to do such wicked deeds. By point of application to us as a church this morning, let us remember that neglecting to mortify sin at its starting point leads to greater sins, brothers and sisters. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of King David, a man after God's own heart. David probably didn't wake up thinking to himself that morning, I want to commit adultery today, and then after that, murder. And yet by neglecting to do what God had called him to do as the king of Israel, by failing to engage in the duty of warfare, he ended up positioned, he was positioned to be tempted to greater and greater sin. David coveted and took another man's wife. And Bathsheba became pregnant. Sin always promises to deliver happiness. But when we're tempted to take the bait, we don't see the painful hook that leads us to being reeled into a mess of great chaos and further wandering from God. And it was a mess of great chaos and a storm that David brought about through his sin that really lasted for the remainder of his lifetime. For this fleeting pleasure of sin that he indulged in, he reaped a whirlwind, and it didn't end quickly. And we're going to see that in the upcoming chapters as we dig deeper into Second Samuel. Brothers and sisters, let us take seriously the fleeting pleasures of sin lead to death. But then David's sin, it begins to build upon the others. When he learned that Bathsheba was pregnant, he he seeks to get Bathsheba's husband back home to lay with her so that her pregnancy through adultery with him could be covered up. And so Uriah and all of Israel would think that Uriah was the father and not him. But Uriah, being the man of honor that he was, would not go and sleep with his wife and enjoy the blessings of home because the other men of Israel were in the field and in tents and at a battle far from home. 
And then David really knew he had a problem then. So David, he even gets Uriah drunk the next day in the hopes that he'll break down his conviction and his resolve. So then he'll go home and sleep with his wife. But he didn't do it. And what a man of honor Uriah is. What a model for us, gentlemen, to be a man like him, fighting God's battles and suffering amongst the people of God as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, as 2 Timothy 2 calls us all to be. So David actually writes a letter instructing Joab, his lead commander, to put Uriah in a position to die. And Joab did, and Uriah died on the front line doing his duty before God. And then David waits for Bathsheba to finish her time of mourning, and then he marries her. And all of this might have been gotten away with, but something very important for us to always to remember, brothers and sisters, is that God always sees it. Always. And that phrase at the very end of chapter 11, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It's so interesting if you contrast that this connection here where he writes to Joab through the messenger and he says, he says to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, Joab. Uriah is dead, but don't let this matter displease you. Contrasted with the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What is often okay with us is not okay with God. And we must take that to heart, brothers and sisters. We must make it the ambition of our lives and make it our aim, as Scriptures say, to please the Lord. One of the good definitions of the fear of God is having a fear of displeasing Him. I want to also elevate before all of our minds and our hearts a phrase which a good brother in Christ said, and I I can't remember when I first heard it, but it was such a blessing to hear this phrase. But have you pondered the pleasure, the pleasure of obeying God? Yes, sin is pleasurable, but it's fleeting. But let us cultivate in our souls, brothers and sisters, the pleasure of obeying God and walking on this earth day by day with a clear conscience, knowing that in public and in private and in our thoughts, we are living to please the Lord. When we reject sin, let us remember that though it can be hard to resist temptation, that resistance pleases our Lord. God sees. He not only sees when we sin, He also sees when we obey. And He is pleased with obedience. He is displeased with the sins of His people. It's important for us to note that sin displeases God. And it requires atonement for it in order for God to be satisfied. Sin against God needs to be punished and justice needs to be carried out against all sin. 
We're going to see a solution to that very shortly. Because how can we possibly get ourselves out of the mess that our sins have wrought? The second point is mercy. Mercy. And I just want to highlight 12.1. I, I was so moved meditating on 12.1. Look at this phrase. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Mercy. Why does he not just leave us, brothers and sisters, just go on our merry way in our wickedness? You see in Romans 1 that part of the judgment that comes upon the unrepentant, even in this life, is that they give themselves over to sin and then the Lord gives them over to it. Hands them over to their lusts and their passions. That's an evidence of the judgment of God. When the Lord hands people over to their sin, gives them what they want in pursuing sin and immorality, and they live their life without conviction of sin and go on and on all the way until eternity in hell. But listen carefully, for you, for you, beloved, and for me, the story has been quite different. Ours has been a story of not just God saving us, but of God pursuing us when we've wandered. Amen? Can anybody amen that with me this morning? I am up here this morning because God is like He is in 12-1 with David, with me. I feel like on a weekly basis. This isn't just like a once and a once and done moment for me. I, I feel the Lord's pursuit. I feel His kindness leading me to repentance over and over and over again. This is His mercy. He utterly, in chapter 12, scorns the Lord, Nathan the prophet says. But the Lord sends Nathan, Nathan to David. Nathan goes as a prophet to King David and he confronts him with his sin. And the way he did this was to tell a story that caused David to become sensible of his own grievous sin by seeing the wickedness of it in another similar story that Nathan related to him. And brothers and sisters, let there be another application for us just here in the church this morning that Let us give thanks to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ who, like Nathan the prophet, walk with God as we seek to walk with God and who care for our souls as we seek to traverse this dangerous journey on our road to heaven. We cannot live in isolation. Proverbs says, He who isolates himself is not wise. And he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. But, for men and women of God, they have Nathans and Nathanettes around them to help them on the journey. We cannot walk this Christian life out alone. Thank God for our church family. Amen? I know I'm so grateful that I've got you in my life. But David concluded that the man who stole the poor man's lamb deserved to die. And that what he stole should be restored fourfold because he had no pity. 
It's amazing how blind we can get in our sin. David is like self-righteously rising up with indignation, saying he had no pity. He should be put to death. And it's so often the case, is it not, brothers and sisters? We see the sins of others crystal clear, but our own sins we're blind to. The deceitfulness of sin is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. So let us all take stock of that. And when we think we know our own hearts and think that, hey, I'm good. Thank God we have our brothers and sisters around us again to help us to see where we are falling short. And Nathan showed him he was that man that had no pity. And this was the mercy of God in David's life. And God asked David through Nathan, why have you despised the word of the Lord? Every sin we commit is a despising of the Word of the Lord. He also said, it's despising me, the Lord said to David through Nathan the prophet. We don't tend to think of our sin as despising God. But by nature, all sin is hostile to God. It's despising Him. And the reason we tend to take even like our, we call them small sins so lightly is because we don't think they're that big of a deal. We don't have a category for them despising God and despising the Word of the Lord the way we should. And brothers and sisters, what that does on the back end is it robs us of the ability to have real true godly sorrow and repentance because what we did wasn't that big of a deal. The Holy Spirit works to convict us according to sin and righteousness and judgment. And so when you feel overwhelmed with how your sins have despise the Lord, despise the word of the Lord, and you feel like it says in verse 10, you have utterly scorned the Lord with your behavior. Give thanks to the Holy Spirit who has come and who has ministered that clarity to you so that you can fall on your knees in repentance and cry out to God for mercy and receive it. Taking sin lightly is an evidence of ungodliness in us, like it was in David. But when we are broken before the Lord at the foot of the cross yet again, weeping over our sin as we should, then we are where we need to be before God. Our sin, like David's, is not neutral. It's actually despising God. We don't tend to think of it because it's so common in our lives. But let us take stock of it the way these Scriptures highlight that we should. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, CB, you are that man. Or through a godly brother or sister who loves us comes and encourages us, hey, have you considered that this attitude that you've had lately, or if your spouse comes and tries to help you with your sin, rather than become prideful and defensive, you'll bless God for His mercy. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs says. Blessed are the men and women of God who have many faithful friends, who with grace in their hearts are willing to come like Nathan and say, hey, you're the man. So that it will lead us to the kindness of the Lord and the mercy of our Lord, which brings us to repentance. That's mercy.
point two. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Thank you, God. How many times, brothers and sisters, have you seen the Lord take initiative when you were wandering away to send a messenger to you, to bring a sermon to you in due season that you, that you were struck by and it touched you and brought you back? How many times has the Holy Spirit Himself, when you were wandering and your heart was hard and insensitive to the Lord, has the Father not come and, and touched you and said, my son, my daughter, this is not the way. Return to me. And not too long after that, you're broken on your knees before the Lord, sensible of that which you weren't sensible about prior to that. That is a gift of God's mercy to our souls. Amen? I'm so glad God is a God who initiates rescue to the wandering sheep. Or brothers and sisters, your pastor wouldn't be here, and this room would be empty if it wasn't for the amazing grace and the mercy of God. Our third point is grace. Grace. Now by God's grace, David came to his senses here. And before the prophet, he confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. Now that conviction is instantaneous. And what is so amazing, when it bubbles up in the heart, produced by the Spirit of God in David. What is so awesome of God, and I want you to take stock of this and really just be amazed at it, brothers and sisters. God's forgiveness of David is quicker and faster than his feet that rushed into sin and adultery. The Lord immediately, without hesitation, when David acknowledges his sin, the next thing out of Nathan the prophet's mouth, it's so beautiful. Verse 13 of chapter 12, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And for wicked idolaters and adulterers and murderers who have murdered people in their heart, committed adultery with people in their heart, even if they haven't done it physically, we are guilty sinners worthy of eternal damnation. And yet, God, upon the moment of the Holy Spirit's conviction where we stop and acknowledge our guilt and say, Lord, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Immediately. Immediately. Puts away our sin. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's probably right in around this moment in David's life here where he wrote Psalm 51, which I would recommend to all of us to read. Psalm 51 is the beautiful psalm of repentance that David wrote after the Lord convicted him. You are the man who has sinned against me and scorned me. 
I'm so moved by that psalm. I just want to read a few verses of it to you. Let's listen together and just let it be our own psalm to the Lord together as a congregation as I read. Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your steadfast love. According to Your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against You, You only have I sinned and done what is evil in Your sight so that You might be justified in Your words and blameless in Your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, You delight in truth and the inward being and You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that You have broken rejoice. Hide Your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I love these two verses here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Or as the NIV says, and renew a right spirit within me. I love that phrase. The Lord put away David's sins. Now, one of the consequences of this would be, however, that the child that Bathsheba bore would die because of David's sin. So Uriah also died because of David's sin. David gets mercy. David gets grace. Uriah gets the grave. David didn't die. And how is that just? I remember John Piper reacting to the mercy and grace of our Lord showed to David here and saying one time in a sermon after the phrase, the Lord has put away your sin, David. You will not die. Piper shouting, why don't you go tell that to Uriah's mother? Go tell it to his mother. Is that just for Uriah to die and David to get mercy and grace? Where's the justice in that? How can God tell David that he put away his sin and still be just in judging Uriah's murder? And this is where the Gospel is so amazing and so awesome, brothers and sisters, There's only one way. And that is if He provides a substitute, God does, to die in the place of David who should die. David should die. But in order for justice to not be averted and to be accomplished, God needs to provide a substitute To die in the place of David who should die. God needed to provide a substitute in the place of you, my friend. For the wages of your sin and mine is death. Someone had to die in order for us to live. And this is precisely what God did for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 
Listen to this good news. Take it in as if you never heard it before. Christ died on the cross in the place of every sinner who believes in Him. The only way to have your sin put away and also to live is for Christ to take it Himself and for Him to be put away in death. For justice must be served and punishment for sin must be carried out. In order for our sin to be put away and for us not to die the second death in hell, Christ needed to be put away and put down. And it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. On the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, there were two goats that were sacrificed. The one was slaughtered and its blood represented the propitiation or the wrath-absorbing, atoning sacrifice that shed blood brings to our sin that washes us whiter than snow, as David says in Psalm 51. The other goat had hands laid on it as well. And all the guilt of the sins of the people of Israel were put on that goat, and that goat was sent out into the wilderness. Never to be seen again. Bearing the guilt of all the sins of God's people. And it was sent Azazel into the wilderness. It was put away. The sin of the people of Israel was expiated. It was removed. So with the glory of the cross, not only is the wrath of God satisfied against our sin, but brothers and sisters, The Lord likewise has put upon His Son our sin. And this is why Christ was crucified outside the camp, outside the walls of Jerusalem. He was cast out so that you might be brought in. He was put down in death so that you might be brought up to new life. This is the glory of Calvary. This is the glory of the cross. That your sins were not only atoned for, they were put away. Your sins, brothers and sisters, listen and be encouraged this morning. Your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west, which is an immeasurable distance. And God never forgets our sin. He does something even more glorious. He never forgets. You know what the scriptural language is? He chooses to remember them no more. Our God who has seen it all, seen you in the darkness, seen you in the pit of your own thought life, He has looked down and He said, I am willingly going to send My Son to die on the cross for this sinner. I'm going to pour out My wrath that He deserves and and the death that He deserves. I'm going to give it to My Son instead. And I'm also going to Have my son bear the guilt and the shame of this. He will be crucified outside the camp so that CB and all the other sinners in Christ Community Church can hear the assuring words of my precious Gospel hope this morning. I have put away your sin. Is that not good news, brothers and sisters? Are you not grateful this morning that your sins have been taken away and your guilt has been atoned for? 
Oh, we should be happy men and women and children recognizing that the Lord has put away our sins and that we're not going to die. Christ died so that you might live and live forever with Him in heaven. He endured the wrath that your sins with the second death in hell deserve so that you won't ever have to, once you die, you'll never die again. But you will go on into eternal life, which is the precious gift to God's beloved people. Eternal life to enjoy Jesus forever and not separated from God forever in hell. Won't you please repent this morning? Won't you please put your trust in Jesus? Because this gift of the Gospel, this good news and the Lord putting away your sin only comes upon all those in this room who trust in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. It does not come just by sitting here. You must act. You must put your faith. Your parents' faith won't save you. Little one, you must put faith in Christ in order for Christ to save you. Won't you do that while there's still time? Oh, there's an urgency on this. David prayed after this that his child would live. He prayed and he fasted. And he rightly reasoned, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. He just put away all my sin. Why not get on my face and fast and pray for this little one that he might live? And David was at that point conscious that he didn't deserve anything from God. Yet he cried out to God in prayer. And that's a good thing to do. And when the Lord chose to bring the child home to Himself through death, David realized that it was over. That the Lord had done what He did. And He arose. And I love this. It says that He got up off the ground And he went to the house of the Lord in his loss. And he worshipped. Worshipping God even in the midst of our losses. Oh, Christ community, may we be like this. May we be, and you are, a church that worships the Lord and goes to the house of God even in the midst of our deepest distresses and deepest losses. Shannon and I have a little one in heaven. We were talking about it the other night. That child would be about 16 years old now. And we were reflecting on our child that went to be with Jesus before he or she was ever born. And we look forward to the happy reunion (laughs) that we'll have with our little one. Because David says here in the Word of God, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. All grieving parents who have suffered losses in these kinds of ways, I want you to take comfort that your little one is with Jesus. And you will go to Him. 
but he will not return to me. You know what I love so much about Scripture? It's just sufficient to care for like the hardest things in our lives because it's just clear. It just comes and it ministers to us in times of need and in our deepest distresses. And how kind of God. And as David said, surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We don't ever, none of us, even little infants or babies before they're even born, none of us are guilt-free. We are all sinners because of the fall. But Christ's atoning death covers even those little those little ones and their sins that though they never took a breath outside the womb, they had sin in connection with the radical corruption of the fall under Adam. And Christ takes care of it and puts it away. And one of the joys of heaven is going to be to see you see this in Isaiah. There's, there's little ones in heaven. To see them. See them growing up. It's going to be awesome. Beyond what we can even imagine. The new heavens and new earth. The new Jerusalem. The real literal city and the real literal land. We are going to have real literal flesh and blood. Glorified, resurrected bodies. No longer tainted by the fall. Enjoying King Jesus as He has crowned Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. And I was so moved in this last section that we're going into now, Beloved, where it talks about the crown that David got when the king of the Ammonites had his crown taken off of him and there was a gem in that crown and it was placed on David's head, a talent of gold this crown had. And it's put on the head of this adulterous, murderous king. And guess what Christ got? A crown of thorns. Symbolizing the fall that only by the thorn and the sweat of his brow will, will man make his living underneath of the fall because of his sin. And Christ willingly said, put that crown, not the one with the gem like I deserve, but put the crown of thorns and press it down and bring forth my blood so that I might atone for all the wrongs that my people have done and put away their sin and bring them to me. Bring my now pure, spotless bride to me. What an awesome God who loves His church and calls us His beloved bride. I love the way the Lord, when Solomon, David and Bathsheba's second son, conceived after their marriage, is born. The Lord pronounces His favor upon this little one, this soon to be after David King Solomon, and he's described as loved by the Lord, beloved of God, one who enjoyed God's favor, Jedediah. These words are so beautiful, talking about Solomon's life and how much favor rested upon him. And the reason is, brothers and sisters, you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, in the genealogical, the royal line of Christ, the King of Kings, David, and then Solomon. It's this line that leads to our beloved Savior and Lord Jesus Christ being born and coming and dying on the cross for our sins. It never ceases to affect me that God chose to bring forth His perfectly pure Son 
through a line of immoral, wicked kings. God was not so high that He didn't allow for His Son to be born through such a royal line. And yes, there was honor there. But all the way to the end of his life, King David, and we'll see this as we get into Kings. It says of David, he was a man after God's own heart. He was faithful to the Lord all the days of his life. And then there's this little asterisk at the end of it. Except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Except. I got good news for you. We serve and worship a king where there are no exceptions made after the declaration of His holiness and goodness and righteousness and perfect purity. There's no exception clause at the end of Jesus' righteousness. He's the perfectly pure, spotless Lamb of God, King of Kings, exclamation point. No comma, well, except for this one sin that Jesus did. No, there was no sin that Jesus did. And His sinless, spotless, pure sacrifice, when He hung up there and screamed in agony on the cross for your sins and mine that we loved committing against Him, is Him saying, My beloved bride, I love you and I gladly give my life for you to bring you and reconcile you to God so that you might enjoy heaven and eternal life with me forever. Just as Solomon is called beloved of the Lord, Christ community, you as believers in Christ have been united to Christ by faith. And if Solomon, the sinful king, was beloved of God, how much more beloved is Jesus Christ, God's Son, to God? And you are in Christ. When you believe in His Son, you are God's beloved children. You are Christ's loved bride. There was a prophetic word uh, that Jill had before the message started, and she just wanted to convey that she had a sense that from the Holy Spirit that there were many people here today that just are coming in weary, coming in just barely having God here today. You just you've had such a long and hard battle of it, long and hard week. You're barely here. My friend, I can relate to that if that's you. Let this refresh your weary soul this morning. The Lord has put away your sin. You will not die, but you live. And you are the beloved child of God and the bride. The pure, spotless bride of Jesus Christ. And what awaits you is more glorious than you can even imagine. And we're all going to enjoy it together forever in heaven. Let's pray. Worship band, can you return? Lord, we thank you so much for how awesome you are. We can't get over how good your gospel is and how amazing is it, Lord, that you have put away our sin because you placed it on your son. He was crucified outside the camp. He was struck down and put down to death so that we might live. Oh, the glory of the cross. 
that You would send Your Son for us, Father. We love You. And we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, Your Son now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's all stand and worship our Lord, brothers and sisters. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You have put away our sin. You put away our sin by placing it on Your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That all the wrath that we deserve as sinful human beings was placed on the innocent One, Jesus Christ, the sinless One, who came and bore the punishment that we deserve who absorbed the wrath that we deserve, that we could be here today to cry out to you, God, you are good and your love endures forever, to cry out and say, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sin, for putting our sin away. So that when you look at us, You see the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us. God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to the cross. We thank you that it was your will to crush him so that we can have relationship with you so that sin would no longer separate us from you. And Father, as we leave today, may we remember. May we remember Christ's sacrifice made the way for our relationship with you. Christ's sacrifice made a way for us to be adopted. We we are no longer enemies, hostile, but now children of the Most High God. Thank you. Thank you for putting away our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, go encouraged in Jesus today.